Episode 4. If you haven't done so already, we recommend you start at Episode 1 and listen to the episodes in sequence. Otherwise, welcome back. Let's continue. Diagnose by seeing how others describe it in writing, because their words are likely to reveal a lot. The closer you are to a business, the more you have the curse of knowledge, the cognitive bias that makes it hard to see things through the eyes of those less experienced. It can help to read how other people have tried to describe your product. The following methods are often useful. Read Wikipedia. If your company, your product or the generic type of product has a page on Wikipedia, then study the words that the writers have used. Wikipedia articles are usually excellent in terms of intelligibility, which is particularly important for products that are technical or complex. We have seen several products for which the Wikipedia page was clearer and more persuasive than the company's official landing page. We once tried unsuccessfully to persuade a client to point some of its AdWords traffic at its Wikipedia page. Read reviews. Reviews on online stores like Amazon reveal a lot about the buyer's psychology, particularly their likes and dislikes. Pay attention to the wording used in the reviews. Look for places where customers sell the product to others. There's no purer copywriting than when buyers recommend products to their friends. Search Twitter and Facebook for instances of customers recommending your product to their followers. If your company has a tell-a-friend program that allows the customers to send a personalised message to their friends, then those messages can be a great source of sales copy. Check first that you are OK to analyse those messages without breaking any laws or terms and conditions. Not only do the messages reveal the persuasive arguments, but they also tell you the exact wording that customers use. By analysing the frequency of words used, you can establish the lexicon you should use in your copywriting. Diagnose by talking to a VOC aggregator. Perhaps the fastest way to understand users. What VOC aggregators are and why you need to find yours. According to Paul Graham of Y Combinator, to grow an early-stage web business, you should spend all of your waking hours on the following three activities. Build the product. Talk to users. Exercise. We agree. We spend a good fraction of our time talking with our clients' users. It's priceless, but it's also time-consuming. So we also talk to people who spend their whole lives speaking with users. For example, salespeople, consultants and customer support staff. We call these people Voice of Customer Aggregators or VOC Aggregators. VOC aggregators already understand the users and they don't just know facts like the average user is 40 years old with 2.4 children. They know the users intuitively, much like you know your own family. In fact, they can often second-guess how the users would react to a particular idea. Plus, because they speak with so many users, 
they know the relative importance of each issue. When you talk to a VOC aggregator, you harness the wisdom of thousands of hours of conversations with users. Of course, you still need to talk to users, but you can accelerate your understanding by identifying your market's VOC aggregators and then talking to them. With this in mind, here's the updated formula. Build the product. Talk to users and to people who talk to users. Exercise. How to benefit from VOC aggregation. Here's what you can do. 1. Identify your own industry's VOC aggregators. They may be resellers, consultants, telesales people, customer support people. They may work for your company or for other companies in the same supply chain. They may work for online companies, mail order companies or bricks and mortar companies. So, for example, when we work for manufacturers of consumer electronics, we spend a lot of time speaking with the staff of bricks and mortar electronics stores. 2. Talk to them. Ask them how they would sell your product. Their approach is likely to mirror the logic of how their customers buy. 3. Implement as much of their feedback as you can. Add the rest to your product roadmap and marketing roadmap. While we were working with Sony, we visited a store that sold its devices. The shop assistant was great at selling the product. She sold several of the devices each week and she knew the answers to all the questions that visitors asked. We asked her for her views on the product's website, which she knew well because she had studied it when searching for answers to her visitors' questions. She described 22 facts that her visitors needed to know but that weren't mentioned on the company's website. We incorporated these facts into the web page, making it much more persuasive. For many products, the salespeople hold decision trees in their heads. What they say depends on how visitors answered the previous questions. In such cases, you should map out the decision trees, consolidate them and then turn them into conversion flows. We did exactly this for a blue chip financial services company. After speaking with its call centre team, we made changes that resulted in a 214% increase in orders. Diagnose by encouraging your visitors to phone you so you can understand them better. If your phone number is displayed prominently on your pages, speak with your inbound telesales team or whoever answers the calls. They will already understand your visitors deeply with a level of empathy you could never get from a survey tool. In fact, you may well discover that your page should be a distilled version of words and logic that the salesperson says to the callers. If the price of your product is low, you may find that it's economically unviable to invite phone calls. Regardless, we still recommend you add a phone number for just a day or so for research purposes. The first few phone calls can reveal breakthrough insights. Not only do phone calls help you to understand your visitors, but they also help you to understand yourself. A phone call can be an intuition pump. 
On the phone, you'll find yourself intuitively using words and logic that you hadn't thought to write on your pages. Just as stand-up comedians come up with many of their best lines while performing in front of an audience, you'll find that much of your best sales copy comes while you are selling on the phone or in person one-to-one. Diagnosed by creating and then studying a knowledge base of answers to your visitors' questions to manage the long tail of obstacles. Knowledge-based software helps you to corral users' questions and to organise your responses. By studying the knowledge base, you can understand your visitors' intentions, their likes, their objections and your most effective counter-objections. Plus, the knowledge base doesn't just help you gain insight, it helps visitors to convert. Tools for knowledge bases the following knowledge-based solutions are popular. Intercom, Help Scout, Zendesk, Knowledge Owl, Moxie, Help Juice and Freshdesk. Diagnose by running user tests to see your page's shortcomings firsthand. We carry out user tests every day. They are an amazing way to get deep, granular insights into your pages and to identify exactly how you can make them convert better. A user test, or usability test, involves observing someone using your website and noting any issues that arise. User testing is not rocket science, in fact it's mundane, but it's perhaps the most powerful technique in this book. There are several ways to carry out user tests. Most involve the following. 1. Giving participants tasks to carry out. 2. Watching in silence as they complete them. 3. Asking them about their thoughts. 4. Recording the results for later analysis. How to recruit people to user test your website. Ideally, your participants would be people who represent your target market. However, at first, you can get great results by testing on whoever's at hand. Those people sitting near you right now, they'll do. Or a family member. This practice has a name. Hallway usability testing, which makes it sound more legitimate than it feels when you're doing it. Hallway usability tests are effective because many usability problems are so obvious they could be detected by anyone. Once you sense that you're getting diminishing returns from your hallway antics and your website's remaining problems are too sophisticated to be detected by a layman, start to look for test participants who are from the website's target demographic. For example, when we doubled the sales of a web app for photographers, we recruited photographers to test the website. You can recruit visitors directly from the website using an invitation powered by Ethnio or Hotjar. It can be surprisingly effective to carry out what we call retrospective moderated user tests in which you contact someone who has just completed your website's goal, e.g. made a purchase, and ask them if they'd be willing to retrace their steps. Such people are, by definition, qualified and have recently gone through all of the thought processes required to buy. 
Take notes as they show you the path they took through your funnel and ask them to describe what they thought at each stage. They tend to be excellent at recalling the hoops they had to jump through and the obstacles at which they nearly fell. Counterintuitively, regardless of which of the previous methods you choose for recruiting, you tend to learn more from users who aren't web-savvy. People who use the web a lot tend to be better at coping with pages that contain errors. People who don't use the web much are more easily derailed and can therefore provide more insights. How to carry out a user test If the participants aren't from your exact target market, tell them anything they need to imagine. Do they need to pretend they are someone else? For example, if you were working on the website of a car manufacturer, you might say to the test participant, imagine that you owned a car made by company name. Do they need to pretend they are in a particular situation? For example, you may need to say, imagine that you are an existing customer and your car has broken down. Then, give them the task you'd like them to complete. The task is usually a typical goal of the website. For example, if your website sells quirky gifts, the task might be add to your basket some smoking mittens, some metal-detecting sandals and a photorealistic bacon scarf. Those are all real products, amazingly. You may choose to set the goal in general terms or specifically, depending on whether you want to exclude certain possibilities. To consider all possibilities, you may state the goal implicitly. Imagine that your car has broken down. What would you do next? About ten years ago, we carried out a user test in which the participant, to our surprise, asked for a yellow pages and didn't even consider using a computer. To be more specific, you may choose to state the goal in general terms. How would you get your car repaired? You may choose to state the goal specifically. Assume you have typed search terms into Google and clicked on the first search result. You arrive on this page. How would you find the location of your nearest repair centre? Encourage criticism. The participant needs to know that you won't take criticism personally. We sometimes find it helps to pretend that the website was designed by someone else and that we aren't happy with it. That way, the user feels more comfortable criticising it. You want the visit to be as natural as possible. Tell them that once they have started the task, you'll stay quiet and watch and you'll refrain from helping unless they really need you. During the test, take notes. You'll soon have a huge list of ideas for improving your website. Most tests provide something worthwhile, and it's rare to go more than three tests without getting an idea that's so important you'll want to stop everything until it's implemented. Steve Krug, the author of a great book called Don't Make Me Think, has a useful script, a Word document, for carrying out user tests. The script was designed for user tests in labs, so you may want to ignore the references to microphones and screen recordings. The hardest thing about user testing is the emotional aspect. 
Not only can they feel awkward, but also they can make you want to cry, because the truth hurts. For that reason, most marketers shy away from them. The best marketers are those who rapidly accept the criticism, use it to improve the page, and then use a test again. How to outsource your user testing. If you are too busy or introverted to carry out usability tests, you can pay for a service to do unmoderated user tests for you. Here's how the service typically works. 1. You tell the service which page you want to test. 2. You select the type of users that you'd like to participate. 3. You specify what the user's task should be. 4. After a delay, usually of a few hours, you will receive videos of users carrying out the task. The following services provide unmoderated user tests. User testing, Validately, Userlytics, What users do, Try my UI, User Bob and User Brain. Lookback is similar, but you provide the participants you might choose to send your existing customers to it. Users Think and User Input are low-cost alternatives that provide written reports instead of videos. Usability Hub allows you to carry out tests for free, provided that, in exchange, you complete other people's tests. Watch Send is for iPhone apps. Testapic provides a user testing service in French. Uxline does it in Spanish, Testaiso does it in Portuguese. To learn more about usability testing, see the talk How to Make Millions from Usability Testing, which you can find on our website. Tools for recording the screen during user tests. You can use one of the following to record your screen during a user test. Camtasia, ScreenFlow, Jing, Morai, Silverback and UX Recorder for iOS websites. Some of those tools can also simultaneously record video from the webcam so you can capture the user's facial expressions, frustration, confusion, despondency, etc. How to identify usability problems caused by technical errors. One type of usability problem occurs when the website malfunctions. This is particularly common when the visitor is using an uncommon device or browser version, or when the page is new. The solution is to follow a robust quality assurance process before any page goes live. Smashing Magazine's list of 45 web design checklists and questionnaires can be useful. Session recording software can help a lot with finding such problems. Options include Clicktail, Inspectlet, Hotjar and Tealeaf, all of which also help to identify problems with online forms. Other tools and services for user testing. You might also want to check out the following tools for user testing. Loop11, Usability Hub, and user zoom are useful. Mechanical Turk can be used to find participants. Pair note and reframer 
help you to write notes while observing a user test. If you are a usability expert, Capian can help you to create reports of your expert reviews. The Accessibility Priority Tool is a spreadsheet that scores different aspects of a website's usability and accessibility. There's a great benefit in carrying out at least a few user tests yourself. Whichever tools and services you use, we highly recommend that you and everyone else who creates pages for your website should carry out at least a few tests. By testing in person, you can ask questions of the users. You can even propose solutions to their objections and collaborate with them on the solutions. We talk more about user testing in an article called How to Eliminate the Usability Problems that Stifle Your Growth, which you can find on our website. Diagnose by using eye tracking to identify where your visitors are looking. Just because something is on your page doesn't mean that anyone looks at it. While your users are participating in user tests, you can track their eye movements using an eye-tracking apparatus. Eye-tracking is great for understanding how users look at web pages. If there's a photo of a person on your page, ensure that the person is looking in the direction of the text you want your visitors to read. Eye-tracking reveals that users tend to look at whatever the person on the page appears to be looking at. The data from a browsing session can be converted into a movie of the user's eye movements or displayed as a static chart like a heat map or movement map. Professional eye-tracking hardware tends to cost thousands of dollars. However, a service called Eyes Decide allows you to get low-cost eye-tracking reports on demand. The service works much like the user testing tools mentioned above, but includes eye-tracking reports that it gathers via its users' webcams. iQuant and Fengui use a computer algorithm to predict your visitors' eye-tracking based on the contrast and layout of the page elements. Diagnose by using pop-up surveys to recruit participants for your user tests. Once you have fixed the more obvious problems with your website, it's time to carry out some user tests on qualified prospects, that is, people who actually visit your website. A software platform called Ethnio provides an easy way of recruiting people for user tests. In this chapter, we'll describe its features. Hotjar has this feature too, and you could probably create the same functionality using a combination of other tools. Once Ethnio is installed on your website, you can use it to easily display a survey in an overlay that asks your visitors if they'd like to participate in a user test. You can target the survey to specific types of visitors. For example, those who use a particular browser or are in a specific geolocation. You can design the survey to ask questions that will help you to determine whether you want to interview the person. For example, you may ask them why they visited your website and whether this is their first visit. To incentivize people for participating in your tests, you'll probably need to offer a reward. We like to reward people with gift cards from Amazon.com, 
because they are quick to send and they require only the recipient's email address. Also, visitors instantly recognise them as being valuable. They're clearly not some sneaky voucher that's full of weasel clauses and restrictions. With an incentive, about 5% of visitors tend to respond, though this varies greatly from industry to industry. The following text works well. Penny for your thoughts? Tell us your thoughts for a chance to win a $500 Amazon gift card and then to have a button that says, sure, why not? People's willingness to participate in user tests depends on which type of market you're in. Visitors to some types of website, such as financial services or health issues, tend to be reluctant to start a conversation. In other markets, visitors love to get involved. Once visitors have completed the survey, their details appear in a table in Ethnio's or Hotjar's interface. You can then decide whether you'd like to carry out a user test with them. You can interview them however you like, by phone, with screen-sharing software such as Join.me, Zoom, GoToMeeting, or in person. Ethnio can also help you to set up the call. Bear in mind that the people who want to be interviewed are self-selecting. They don't necessarily represent your average visitor. In particular, they may be more time-rich and cash-poor than your average visitor. However, they still tend to be much more qualified than your average user-testing participant. It can help to record the phone call. To do so, you'll need to get the user's permission. Ethnio provides a great sample script to use when interviewing visitors. Measure your wins using A-B testing to test different versions of your web pages to see which is the best. A-B testing software allows you to create different variations of a page and then measure which converts best. You can then promote the winning page to become your official new version. A-B testing doesn't generate many insights. However, it does give the final word on whether your insights and intuitions were accurate. A winning A-B test is your visitors voting with their feet and often their credit cards. For further information on A-B testing, see a report we wrote titled A-B Testing 101. Also, we recommend you read the help files for whatever A-B testing software you use. The help files tend to be written well, and their advice will be correct for that software and whichever methods and algorithms it uses. Tools for A-B testing Popular platforms include Optimizely, Google Optimize, VWO, Convert.com, and Adobe Target. There are many alternatives, though. We created the industry's first and most comprehensive comparison website for them. It compares software solutions for split testing, A-B testing and multivariate testing, allowing you to see the differences easily. You can find it on our website. How to measure what's working if your website doesn't get much traffic. 
In the chapter on low-traffic websites, we explained how it can be difficult to measure what's working on low-traffic websites because A-B tests often don't reach significance. Many people with low-traffic websites thus believe that testing isn't suitable for them. But that isn't the case. Done correctly, there's no reason why you shouldn't be testing often on your website and realising all the benefits that go with it. How many conversions do you need for A-B testing? It depends on the following factors. 1. Your current conversion rate. The fewer conversions you get, the longer it takes to detect a doubling. 2. The increase in conversion rate that you're trying to detect. A 100% increase can be detected about four times as fast as a 50% increase. 3. How statistically confident you want to be. If you wanted to be 99.99% sure that your new page wasn't winning just by chance, you'd have to wait a long time. So, what should a low-traffic website do? Several strategies are effective. 1. Test the biggest, boldest ideas. When you have low traffic, it's especially important to test big, bold ideas that are more likely to move the needle significantly. Test things that your visitors care about. Overcome their main objections. Highlight the things they love. Change the offer, or at least how it's presented. Test things that might double or halve the number of conversions, but are unlikely to make no difference. 2. Measure micro-conversions. Imagine conversion goals as a spectrum. On the right-hand side of the spectrum is what you ideally want, something like net profit or lifetime customer value. Such metrics tend to be untimely, meaning that you'd take months or years to measure their true value. On the left-hand side of the spectrum lie metrics like click-through rate or engagement rate. Such intermediate metrics are much larger in number and can be measured instantly. But you can't be confident that they correlate with overall long-term success. The less traffic your website gets, the more you need to rely on intermediate metrics toward the left-hand side of the spectrum. 3. Test on major pages Maybe this one is obvious, but test only those pages that almost all of your customers see, like your main landing page or your checkout funnel. 4. Combine similar pages into one test. If you have 10 landing pages and you want to test the call to action button, then apply the same change to all of those pages and include them in the same test. Some companies have many more landing pages than they need, maybe because they wanted to make each landing page bespoke to a particular keyword. We often consolidate such pages into one and then optimise the heck out of it. 5. Reduce the statistical significance at which you'll declare a winner. It has become the norm to declare a winning test at a statistical significance of 95%, but that's not to say you can't use a different figure. It would be a shame to conclude that, 
If I can't have 95% confidence, I won't run an A-B test at all. That's like saying, I'm a perfectionist. If I can't do it perfectly, I won't do it at all. Most marketing decisions are made without any measurement. So don't rule out the possibility of ending a test at, say, 90% confidence or even 85% confidence. Especially if the alternative is just to launch the page and hope for the best. Sure, your chances of declaring false positives increase slightly. But the benefits of being able to test more ideas usually hugely outweighs the slim risk of promoting a page that was actually losing. 6. Fixed period testing Many A-B testing tools now monitor your tests on an ongoing basis and tell you when there's a winner. In addition, though, you may choose to specify a maximum duration for each test, after which you'll make a decision regardless. If the control was winning at that point, you may choose to promote it. If the challenger was winning and you're confident that it was based on a research-driven hypothesis, then you may choose to promote it. If the challenger was based on a risky hypothesis, you may choose not to take the risk. Either way, this approach is more rigorous than how most early-stage companies make decisions. 7. Temporarily increase the amount of traffic to the page being tested, even if it means sacrificing some profitability. If the new page wins, the traffic may turn out to be more profitable than you had expected. You can estimate how long an A-B test would take by using a calculator like Optimizely's. Regardless of whether you carry out A-B tests, we highly recommend you use user tests as a way of measuring the performance of pages. In fact, if the A-B test duration calculator shows that all of your tests would take more than six months, we recommend you use only user tests and return to A-B testing once your business has grown. User tests have many huge advantages over A-B tests. They are quick to carry out. A user test can take less than 10 minutes. They allow you to gather qualitative insights. A two-month-long A-B test may tell you which page performed better, but a 10-minute-long user test tells you why. And they provide insights that are granular. An A-B test will only reveal which page is better. That's just one fact about the whole page. But a user test will reveal which parts of the page work. Know your market by analysing your competitors to see what they have learned about their visitors. Although it's not our favourite technique, it can be useful to analyse the websites of your competitors for two reasons. One, you may find that they have recognised and solved a problem that you haven't. Two, you need to work out how you will position your company relative to your competitors. After all, your visitors will be looking at your competitors' websites too. No company exists in a vacuum. You may wish to also carry out user tests on your competitors' websites to get an independent view on how users perceive them. You can learn a lot from your competitors, but to beat them, you'll need to do things they don't. 
why each of the techniques for understanding your visitors is like a spotlight. Now that you know the techniques for understanding your visitors, try to identify which combination of them will give you the insights you need. As in many fields of creativity, it helps to have a spirit of experimentation. Don't give up because your first attempt did not reveal insights. Each technique and each question is like a spotlight that shines light on a different aspect of your visitor's behaviour. The more information you gather, the more problems and opportunities you will spot. You might, for example, discover that your visitor's main objection is that they don't trust you, or that you don't provide what they want, or that they like what they see, but they are just browsing. How do you remedy those problems? You look them up in section 3, that's how. And we'll begin section 3 in the next episode. And that's all for this episode. If you'd like to be kept up to date with our new discoveries, get our free email newsletter from conversion-rate-experts.com forward slash gifts. Until next time, we wish you the best of luck with making your website win.